welcome to Being Me. I'm Ruthie Tesler, one of the Being Me Teen Mind Matters podcast hosts, and my co-host, Juan Medania. And this month, we have our special guest, Sophia. How's it going, everyone? Hey, Ruthie. Hey, Sophia. How we doing? Hey, Juan. Hey, Ruthie. Doing good? Okay, so before we get started, I want to have Sophia introduce herself really quick. Hi, my name is Sophia. I'm a senior at Spanish River High School in South Florida. And I am a teen advisory board member on Be Me, and I'm also Ruthie's friend. Yes, I am so excited to have you on today, Sophia. This is a very special episode for me, and I can't wait to dive in. Super excited. Okay, so let's go. Our first icebreaker is I want to hear about everyone's holidays and their New Year's resolutions. And (laughs) I'm laughing already because Ruthie and I... We're like, 2024, new year, new me. I don't know if anyone, Juan, if you've heard of Sally Up. Have you heard of it? I haven't, no. Okay. So it's like a military song thing that Ruthie introduced to me. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I have heard of this. And you like bring Sally down. (laughs) Okay. So you can either do like push ups to it or squats or like I do it and out sometimes or burpees, right? Yeah. So Ruthie and I were like, Okay, this year is our year. We're getting ripped. We're going to do Sally Ups every day. (laughs) And on the first day, like neither of us did our Sally Ups. And then we kind of tried and kept doing it. And then both of us just stopped. But we can still do it. It's not over yet. Two sets today. I'm trying to get back into it. But it's not good. Yeah, so we already broke our our one New Year's resolution. How about you? So that's the thing with the start of the year. That kind of frustrates me where let's just dive into this with the fact that 70% of people that set New Year's resolutions fall off after 30 days. (laughs) And I think Mm -hmm. the reason for that, and there is something called the fresh start theory. You can look this up. This is like backed by science. It is basically this theory where there's inflection points of energy or enthusiasm about a goal, birthdays. New Year's, a start of a new project, a start of a new school year, where people have this energy around a goal, but then it dissipates. So I kind of like the idea of not setting a New Year's resolution, but building the system that is going to get you where you want to go. And that system can be built on January 24th. That system can be built on March 5th. That system can be built on April 9th. It literally does not matter. It is what are the things that you are committing to day over day. And for me, a few of the things that I've just started, not even January 1st, just like doing as of late is walking 15,000 steps a day. Because I find that a lot of times when I'm like sitting at a desk, it can take a toll in terms of my energy. So I like to get up, go walk my dog. And that's basically 15,000. So that's one, I guess you could call resolution. And another one is I start my day in a freezing cold ice bath every single morning Ah. as of January 1st. And it is horrible. And I hate it. So that's where we're at with that. How long can you spend in an ice bath out of curiosity? I spend three minutes a day. Oh my God. I finished my hot shower with a cold shower. Oh, that's crazy. But it's like to wake myself up. But I can barely spend 30 seconds. So applause for the three minutes. I've done, I think, eight minutes in a nice bath before, but I couldn't do that every day. That was really hard for me. I want to know what you guys are listening to and watching as of late. I know I'm really into Renee Rapp still. 
Sophia and I watched Mean Girls together, actually. Yeah, um, Ruthie and I are Renee Rapp fanatics. It's actually really bad. But <laughs> yeah, we did see Mean Girls together. I'll speak for myself. It wasn't the best, but Renee Rapp carried in my it was opinion. A, it was like overall not a great movie, but I had a great time watching it, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. What about mm. you, Juan? The current biggest disappointment of 2024 was that movie, that new Kevin Hart movie, the one Flight. It's on Netflix. I haven't heard if, of it. You don't want to. It's so bad. It was trying to be Fast and the Furious, but it was just slow and the timid. Like, it was really bad. It was really bad. Oh. Very disappointing. That's actually, I do love Kevin Hart. I yeah. do, too. That's sad. He's a oh. vegan hamburger company. What? I feel like I knew that. Every time I hear it, it's a surprise. No, it's no idea. cool, actually. I know. Isn't that random? Very. Yeah, that's very, that's <laughs> very random for Kevin Hart. Let's dive into section two. We have some questions from our teen advisory board members. So let's get ready for some hot takes. Okay, question one. Declan from Boise, Idaho asks, why should I track my emotions in the Be Me app? I like that one. Personally, I'll start off. I enjoy tracking my emotions because in the Be Me app, there's a little calendar where you can go back and see your emotion each day. And that's kind of helped me be able to look back and see like, oh, this day I was feeling this way because and like, I can almost see fluctuations in my mood every week at certain times. And so I can kind of almost predict my schedule and my feelings. And maybe I won't do something too difficult on this day because I might be feeling down or just need a day to relax. So that's personally why I use it. I agree. I and I so really like the mood crew and like mm-hmm. how you know your friends, how you're feeling and check up on them if they're not feeling so great. And it just makes it also just really fun. Yeah. One of the most important parts of personal growth and a lot of people talk about, well, how do I be happy or how do I feel happy? The happiness is rooted in progress. And the only way to know that you're progressing is to track your progress and see how far you've come. So when you look at Sophia's point, when you look back to see, wow, I had a few days, I had a few weeks where I was not on it. And now we are just vibing. Like it creates a contrast from where you were to where you are now so that where you're going can be a better place. And I think that is just the best thing Yeah, I very much agree with that. And I also think it makes you kind of feel better about yourself. If you look back and you're like, wow, I really wasn't doing well, but like now I feel amazing. Sets a standard for improvement, which is nice. Totally agree. Okay, question two. Danella14 from Yakima, Washington asks, I'm painfully shy. How do I get past my social anxiety and make more friends? I think being shy is a really hard and underlooked thing, but I also think that it's something that you can surpass and get over your social anxiety because I had some social anxiety. And I think a large part of it is taking tiny steps because there's a lot of anticipation and fear and even interacting with other people. And I think once you break that barrier, it makes it a lot easier to make connections with people. And at the end of the day, everyone's kind of focused on themselves and not really judging you. So I think a lot of it is a mental game. And if you kind of just break that barrier, like I said, it's really helpful. 
Sophia dropping the fire. Yes, I totally agree with everything you said. And a lot of it is actually validated by science. There's something in psychology called the spotlight effect, which basically suggests that we think people are thinking of us more than they actually are. Here's the myth that a lot of us believe. We think just because we're the main character in our movie that we're the main character in everyone else's movie. We're not. You're an extra with barely even a talking part. No one is thinking about you. They are thinking about themselves. And Mm -hmm. to be able to overcome social anxiety, you have to understand what it is. Anxiety in a social setting is predicting, or as Ruthie said, anticipating a negative outcome. Excitement is the anticipation of a positive one. So turn that social anxiety into social excitement and realize that you want to move towards making friends. A lot of people also have that same outcome and you are just creating this isolation and living as islands that feel isolated on the surface, but are actually connected in the deep and going up to say hi and having the courage to say, hey, How are you? And letting your voice crack and it being weird. It's going to be painful. It's going to be weird. Mm -hmm. It's going to be awkward. But most great things are you have to lean into that discomfort. You have to lean into that awkwardness to be able to get past it. You don't get past it. You grow through it. Wow. Yes, I totally agree. And I also think Juan and I talk a lot about how discomfort can be actually a very good and constructive Mm -hmm. thing to have. So pushing yourself out of your comfort zone isn't always a bad thing. And if you do it in a mindful way, it could end up turning out really good for you. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question three is from David, who's 16 and lives in Riverside, California. And he wants to know, how do I handle my coach who's being a jerk? (laughs) wow okay i have a really hot take for this one let's go hot take button hot take button hot take (laughs) i really think we give away too much power to our teachers and our coaches who are just at the end of the day normal people and yes we should respect them but if your coach is being genuinely mean and it's not in a constructive way you need to stand up to them i know when I, i was rowing and my coach literally told me to stop eating bread. And instead of standing up to him, I just sat there and took that. And it was actually really harmful to my mental health. And when I started standing up for myself and saying, maybe this isn't the best environment for me is when I got a lot happier. Wow. I couldn't be better said and I couldn't agree more. I think this is such a huge issue in the athletic community that again, is just not something that's talked about enough. I went through the same exact thing as Ruthie. I was a boxer and a lot of the time in boxing, that's based off of weight classes. So my coach would be like, you need to eat more, you need to eat less. And it was affecting my mental health and Mm. I was overexerting myself. And at the end of the day, that led me to getting a chronic injury. I still like look back on that and almost regret if I had only stood up for myself and just simply said no, then things might have been different. But I say that being the person that I am, I still struggle with saying no, whether that be with a coach, with a teacher, with a friend. I think it's something like Juan already said that you continue to improve on that. There's always going to be growth in that. Yeah, I totally agree with both of your takes. I think it is about having the courage to know where to draw the line and understand that a coach is there to mentor you, not to mold you into whatever they want. 
and understanding that what a coach says, if they break out or they lash out at you and they say something, oftentimes that's a reflection of where they are not what you're doing. And taking those moments with a grain of salt, knowing if someone is angry at you or blows up at you, it oftentimes is a reflection of where they are in their life, not of what you did specifically, what you did just triggered that response. But I think it is definitely standing your ground and saying, you are the athlete, you are the talent, you are the one that is on the field. So understand and step into that role and be able to say like, this is what I need to be able to thrive and perform at my highest level and having that conversation. So I totally agree with you both. Yes. At the end of the day, these coaches are normal people. And as much as like you should respect your coach, you can't be putting them on a pedestal and treating them like a god and letting them toss you around and treat you like garbage. So if your coach is being a jerk, definitely don't let them. Moving on to segment three, our topic for the day is coming out which I'm very excited to talk about because... Super excited. Yeah, I don't think I've really talked about my sexuality much on this podcast, but it is a very important part of my life. So I'm really so excited to talk about it. Our first question is, how can I make myself feel less like a black sheep or isolated, even in a community that supports me? Sophia? This is such a tricky question that really hits home for me. I identify as gay and I grew up in a community where gay was normal and supported, even though I live in a state where it's not and you're not even allowed to say the word gay. But in my little family bubble, it was always something that was fine. And so when I got older in middle school and I started having some of these thoughts and thinking, okay, well, maybe I am this, then I started to worry and I immediately shut all of my family out and I very much isolated myself. And I didn't tell anyone for years and it was a very isolating process for me. And I kind of just lived vicariously through social media, through other people. And I was just so extremely scared to tell everyone, not even that I would be judged, but that I would be looked on different because I know Mm. that with sexuality, although it shouldn't be because straight people are not going around telling people that they're straight, Mm. being gay is like (laughs) putting a flag on your back that says, I'm different. You judge me now differently. You look at me differently. Mm. And so that's how I always felt. I just was constantly invalidating myself and isolating myself. So it's hard to even want to come out. But I think that coming out is really what makes you feel less isolated and finding that community that supports you makes you feel less isolated. So we're going to talk about that a little more, but that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that It's really hard sometimes to not feel different. I know that the majority of my friends are straight and sometimes you could definitely feel the impact of, wow, I don't think like this. I don't do these things, especially as a girl, I think, because girls are very touchy with one another and sometimes you don't Mm. know what's okay and what's not. The worst feeling is like thinking you're making anyone uncomfortable. So you step back from all these female friends and it's really hard to do because 
you just want to be like a normal girl with your friends. And sometimes you don't know where that line is and if you're crossing it. But I think what has really helped me feel less isolated in my community, who, by the way, everyone supports me so much. And I feel like Sophia and I both talk from such a place of privilege within the LGBTQ community where we have a family that supports us, friends who support us. And even though maybe we're treated a little bit differently, which is just inevitable, we have so much support from everyone. And I never take that for granted, but it's still sometimes hard. Anyway, spot on. I feel a lot less isolated when I embrace my differences and I'm the one making the jokes about it. And in that case, just like, me talking very openly about my sexuality, me being the one to make the gay jokes and not let anyone beat me to it, stuff like that, that just people want to be around me because I'm gay. They don't want to be around me despite the fact that I'm gay. Here's sort of my take as obviously a uh, a little different perspective of a straight (laughs) male, but I, I think I'll contribute it anyways because I think it's at the core of what so many people experience is that I don't necessarily see being that black sheep, being different, having, and Ruthie, I loved what you said in regards to, I embraced my uniquenesses and my differences. Here's one truth. People will judge you anyways. Here's another truth. Being a black sheep isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we associate and think being different equals bad because there's this thing in psychology called normative conformity, where we have this natural inclination as people to want to be a part of a group. So what will we do? oh, we'll turn ourselves down. Oh, we'll actually water ourselves down. We won't share the full extent of who we are, of our identity, of how we feel, of our sexuality. We won't share any of those things in order to fit into a certain group. So you have to have this level of acceptance that there is going to be people, no matter what you do, no matter how normal, quote unquote, you are, no matter how much that won't like you. There's gonna be people, that reject you. There's going to be people that don't support you, that don't believe in what you believe in. And that's what you see. There's so much division in this country where people feel like just because you're different, you're wrong. I think our differences is what makes the human experience so dynamic. So understand that you being the quote unquote black sheep or isolated, understand that one, that's a good thing. And two, there's always somewhere to find a community that supports you. Even like we talked, talking back to the mood crew, like having and finding those communities that support you and having this underlying understanding that, oh, there's going to be people that don't like me for hundreds of reasons. And that's totally okay because I'm going to live this life and I'm going to find my tribe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I also think that you don't necessarily need to find a group of people that you have similarities with in that way. You see, I find people who embrace your differences. Mm. It's not about finding this monolith of people. It's about finding people that enjoy your uniqueness and what you can bring to the table as a friend. Okay. Ruthie dropping some poetry. (laughs) Always. Our second question is, how do I combat the pressures to identify myself in a certain light? So I feel like I can so relate to needing to answer this question for myself because I have gone from straight to bisexual to lesbian to bisexual to queer to bisexual to lesbian. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and, 
It's been a journey. Sophia's seen me through the whole thing. I've been here for all of it. Been here for it. And I love her for that. But it's really hard to identify yourself in high school, especially. I think in my case, felt such a pressure to label myself and to like almost make straight people comfortable. There's no need for me. I don't feel the need to name myself, but it almost makes my sexuality more palatable to heteronormative society. And like, it's just hard to find a label right now because I hardly even know what I like yet. You know, I have so much more to explore in this world. And I just like, I can't sit here and tell you, I know exactly what I want and I how I'll end up in the future. So I think we honestly should just say no to the pressures of identifying yourself and say, this is just who I am. And I don't owe you an explanation of who I am. Just let me go at my own pace. I think there's really, really no rush or no need to ever identify yourself for that matter. Just over here spitting facts. Really, <laughs> that was amazing. But I kind of feed off of that in a very different way, but also the same way that I have always felt this need to identify in a certain category because of my sexuality. Basically, being gay, usually a common thing that you see is you're either very feminine or you're either very masculine. And I really never fit fully on either side of the spectrum. There's always been a pressure to be on one of those sides. And I kind of always just fell in the middle of that. So I think for me, it's been a struggle finding how I present myself and like what I wear and what I do. And I think even going to prom this year or going out in general, like I dress more masculine and sometimes that feels good and sometimes it doesn't. It's hard for me to find that perfect balance sometimes. So I think what I learned, I read this really amazing book that I highly recommend anyone to read called Symptoms of Being Human. And it's kind of about being on this journey of self-discovery and that there really is no perfect spot to sit in on any spectrum, that there's no right or wrong, there's no normal or weird like we talked Mm. about. You kind of just have to find where you feel most comfortable and where you feel the best in your own skin. And that doesn't need to be labeled. Like Ruthie said, I think there's so much pressure around every single thing, like putting a name to it, but not everything has to have a name. It could just be a feeling. It could just be a way you present yourself, a way you talk. It could just be. I totally agree. That last P.B. said was so spot on in that there isn't a right way. And oftentimes people try and put you in this box or give you this label or rush you to an answer. And they rush you to ask, well, how can we make you feel most comfortable? And what can we do? And how would you like us to? And there's so much, I totally understand how that feels like so much pressure, but you've got to know there is, like Sophia said, there is no right way to do things. Don't think that you need to conform 
to a certain timeline, a certain way, a certain label, a certain box that people want to put you in. Sometimes it could just be like Sophia said, it could be a feeling and there is no right or wrong way. Perfect. Okay. So our third question is how and when should we come out and how coming out has impacted Sophia and me? I want to also preface this question, just like the first question, with the fact that Sophia and I are very fortunate to have families that accept us and friends that accept us and just Mm -hmm. overall pretty supportive communities. And so our takes might be a little bit different than some people listening. Before I say anything, just to build off of that, any of what I'm about to say is because I had a safe community around me and I felt safe enough to come out. But if you are in any risk of your family disowning you or you being kicked out of the house or abused for your identity or sent to conversion therapy, wait until you are not under the roof of whatever guardian you are with for your own safety. I know that can be hard for a lot of people to hear, but just prefacing that. So my coming out journey, I already touched on a little bit, but I think, again, I had this weird period of time figuring out myself, like started before COVID, but then COVID was just two years of me simmering in my thoughts, which we all know, like everyone I think can relate when we were during COVID, everyone felt a little isolated just because you're away from friends or family. But also on top of that isolation, I had the isolation of not knowing who I was and not feeling like I could tell anyone. So Mm. I lived in this box of isolation and didn't tell anyone about myself. And then I got back to school and I realized that I presented differently from everyone else. And people started to notice that I was a a little different. And I People began to ask and not like it was anyone's right, but also I didn't really care not to tell anyone. So I would be open about my sexuality, but I only told a select number of people. So I then felt it's okay. I don't really need to come out because in my mind, coming out is kind of ironic to me because does a straight person have to come out about their sexuality? Like, Mm. why should I have to tell people about who I'm attracted to? I still think the whole idea of coming out is kind of silly and it felt wrong in my mind. But also I think that coming out once I did come out really helped me feel like more myself. So when I came out, I waited for a time when I was alone. I wanted to just tell my mom and I wanted it to be a time when we were on good terms and when everything was kind of quiet and I could just talk to her. I told her and she accepted me. And at first I thought, wow, I don't feel different. But then as I started embracing my identity for who I truly was and really being present in my identity of being part of the LGBTQ community, then I was truly able to be myself, which I wasn't really authentically before. I fully agree. I think I've also had a very unique coming out because I have two mothers. So of course I always knew I would be accepted by my family immediately. But my entire life from when I was literally a toddler 
I had people asking me, since your moms are gay, does that make you gay? And oh my God, did I want to prove them wrong. I wanted to say, no, that's not how it works because it isn't how it works. But I felt my queerness would have almost proved them right in that assumption. And then when I was in middle school, I basically shaved my head and still called myself straight, which (laughs) I think is hilarious. But my point is, I did a lot of things that basically told everyone that I was gay before I was ready to come out because I just wanted so badly. Like I saw how I got asked so many stupid and ignorant questions by so many people when they found out I had two moms that I didn't really want that for myself. Not that they were homophobic, but they just didn't know. And kids can be mean and kids can be ignorant and it's on their parents for not teaching them, I guess. But it just happens to be the way it was for me. So it took me a while to start feeling more okay with not hiding. But then when I did, I didn't even end up like really coming out. I just kind of, I just kind of was, you know, I didn't really tell anyone right off the bat. When people started asking, I said, well, I don't know. And then when people kept asking, I said, yeah, I do like girls. I am part of this community. And it was kind of just never a sit down conversation for me. And I feel like that is honestly, if you have the privilege to do so, that is the way to go. Like you don't really owe anybody. Let me hold your hand and console you while I tell you this very important part of myself. Mm -hmm. No, like you should be able to say it in a very like nonchalant and yeah, this is me like so type of way. Totally. Yeah. I think that needs to be repeated. You do not owe anyone anything, whether that be an explanation about yourself or just a response about your identity. You do not owe anyone anything. And you are the one who gets to decide when you tell people about who you truly are. You telling somebody about your sexuality should not read like you giving them a diagnosis for a terminal illness. You're sharing something about yourself with them and they should sit there and listen and you shouldn't have to do anything to make them comfortable. It's about you. It's it's not about Mm -hmm. them. Ruthie and Sophia dropping the mic to round out (laughs) the episode. (laughs) Ruthie, is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with or remind listeners of who they can reach out to and any (laughs) other resources that they can have access to. As much as I love you guys listening to this podcast, I'm not a professional, but you can talk to professionals on the Beamy app with the coaches. You can find the Beamy app on Google Play in the app store. And I urge you to check it out. The coaches are a great help and the mood crew and everything like that. So With that, I want to thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Juan. Thank you, Sophia. This was a great episode. Thank you guys so much for having me on Being Me, Ruthie and Juan. This is amazing. And until next time, this is Juan Bendanya with my co-host, Ruthie Tesler. Our guest, Sophia, who absolutely crushed it. One of the legends of the guests of the pod, I can confidently say. And our amazing podcast producer that keeps this ship afloat, Derek Baird, reminding you to keep being you and together let's make this the best school year ever. 
Team Mind Matters is a BME podcast and a BME Studios production for BME Health.